This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. Today, we will go over part two of pro wrestling. I wasn't of driving age yet, but my photographer friend was. So off we went to my first wrestling show. They weren't the cheap seats either. We were right up front. While my friend clicked away with his camera, I sat there in awe of these massive individuals. If you think Andre the Giant looked big on TV, you can imagine what he looked like up close. I continued going to the shows whenever my friend had an extra ticket, but most were local shows. I never bothered any of the wrestlers for autographs because I didn't want to embarrass my friend. Then one day, my friend asked me if I wanted to go to an upcoming show at Madison Square Garden. Wayne had some extra tickets and he asked me if I wanted them, he said. Who's Wayne, I asked. Superstar Billy Graham, he said. I thought he was pulling my leg, but he wasn't. The next thing I knew, I was sitting in the front row at the garden, watching Graham wrestle Ivan Putschke. Graham was declared the winner when Putschke got disqualified for disobeying the referee's commands. Then came the match I couldn't wait to see. It was Bruno Sammartino versus Ken Patera. I had a particular interest in Patera because he had been an Olympic weightlifter before his wrestling career. He had placed second in the 1971 World Weightlifting Championships, was a member of the 1972 Olympic team, and was the first USA lifter to clean and jerk 500 pounds. It was a great match, but Bruno retained his championship belt. Graham won the belt from Bruno a few months later. By cheating, of course. By this time, I had finally accepted that matches were predetermined. But I observed something else while sitting so close to the action. It wasn't all fake. You can't fake a body slam. Getting slammed like that night after night had to take a toll on your body. Okay, all the punches aren't landing, and they aren't deliberately trying to hurt each other. And yes, they practice together, and wrestlers usually know what their opponent's next move will be. But accidents happen, and the script doesn't always go as smoothly as planned. Just like the night when Bruno Sammartino had his neck broken. So unless you are willing to get in there yourself, don't be so quick to poke fun at it. Those guys take a beating. I eventually lost touch with my wrestling photographer friend and stopped going to the shows. But I continued watching wrestling on television. I thought the WWWF got a little dull when they made Bob Backlund the champion. Backlund had been a great amateur wrestler at North Dakota State and was a good role model for children 
Still, his bland personality and schoolboy looks didn't make for much excitement on the professional level. Without Bruno Sammartino, who had retired, the WWWF had become stale. I started watching NWA wrestling from Florida on Tuesday nights and from Georgia on Saturdays. They had the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Nature Boy Ric Flair, and Don the Magnificent Morocco. They also had a relative newcomer stirring up a lot of excitement by the name of Rowdy Roddy Piper. The world of professional wrestling changed drastically in 1984. The WWF, formerly WWWF, had a new champion in Hulk Hogan. Later that year, Rowdy Roddy Piper joined the Federation. Both Hogan and Piper had the charisma that had been lacking in the WWF. With Hogan playing the good guy, and Piper playing the heel, former fans of the WWF, like myself, came back. Another significant change came that year when longtime WWF promoter Vince McMahon Sr. died. His death left his son Vince Jr. entirely in charge. Vince Jr. had a lot of ideas on how to make pro wrestling more entertaining and more popular. Unlike his father, Vince Jr. was willing to spend big money. He hired the likes of Mr. T and singer Cindy Lauper. He brought in many of the top young wrestlers and signed them to big fat contracts. On March 31, 1985, the first WrestleMania took place at Madison Square Garden. Muhammad Ali was on hand as a special guest referee, and New York Yankees manager Billy Martin was the guest ring announcer. Performer Liberace was the guest timekeeper. The attendance for the event was 19,121. Over one million viewers also watched it through closed-circuit television. I was not one of those viewers. I had just turned 23 years old, and I had my fill of pro wrestling. I read all about it in the newspaper the next day, and that was enough for me. I never watched it again. But for those 10 years, well, that was a different story. I had a love affair with pro wrestling. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique 
unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes.